messages, so you think you've got talent. How many people here, if you're really honest with yourself, when you hear yourself in the shower, or watch yourself dancing in the mirror, think to yourself, I have got some talent. Come on, let's just see some. Are those that brave enough? I knew Isaac's hand was going to go up. I had no hesitation as Art was going to man. I have got talent. I mean, have you ever watched one of those shows, you know? Uh, you know, like uh, America's Got Talent or something like that. And they, and they go on, and you see some people that go on there, and you're like, oh, my goodness, like young kids at nine years of age that have a, have a voice as soulful as Aretha Franklin, and it's just like, oh, my goodness, you're nine. And then you get those other ones. You know, where they come and they say, so who brought you here? My mum. She's really encouraged. She says, I've got a great voice. How many people? And then they start to sing and you think, mum, you have done a really disservice to this kid. You know, because you, you know, it's the only part. I only watch American Idol until that part's done. Because it's the only best part to watch. Yes? Who, who's with me on that? Who cares about the ones that do really well? We just want to watch all the other ones because it makes us feel better about ourselves. <laughs> and we often think to ourselves, what were wrong with their parents, you know? Um, or what was wrong with their friends that they didn't say something? And, and, I, and I think when I look in the Christian world, I think that sometimes there are people that actually think they've got talent. They actually think that a lot of what is happening in their world is the result of their awesomeness. And, and I want to show you this morning that you have talent, but I want to show you that it actually comes from a different place than what maybe you thought it did, and that you actually have a different responsibility with that than you thought you did. And hopefully from this position of, of, of Scripture, that you'll come out of this in such a way that you feel empowered and like you can take on the world. Is that cool? Can we do that? So we're going we're gonna to look at the parable of talents this morning, but we're going to look at it through the message uh, Bible version, some people call it a version, some people call it a paraphrase, I don't care, I just think it's awesome that we have all these different options when it comes to the Word of God that just show different ways of looking at it, and, um, and when I started reading the story of the talents in the Message Bible, I was just like, oh my goodness, this is phenomenal, this is fantastic, there's such a great way to put it. So before I get into it this morning, let's pray. Father, I thank you that you're here that this is your house, that this is your people, that this is your moment. And so I pray, God, that as I speak, that it will be your words and not my words. But as we listen, that we would hear the Spirit of God. And all that is your word says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. So I pray, God, that you put aside all of our personal opinions, including mine, and that we would just hear from the Spirit of God this morning in such a way that it transforms our lives and the lives of those around us, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. So I'm going to break down the scripture a little bit for you. We're going to start at Matthew chapter 25. The whole story goes from 14 to 30, but we're, going to, we're just going to have a look at different aspects of it as we go through. And I love it. It starts with this. It says, it's also like a man. <laughs> That's, I just realized that just now. It's always also like a man. That's good, that helps. Um, going off on an extended trip, he calls his servants together and delegated responsibilities. Everybody say, delegated responsibilities. Let's say it a little bit more meaningful this morning. Delegated responsibilities. So in this story, just so you understand, the man that is about to go away on a trip is God, and Everybody else in this story is you and I. Whenever there's a parable in Scripture, one person in it represents God and the other person in it represents us. And in this case, the person that it represents is that the person that's going away is God. And so this guy is going away for a period of time. And before he left, he delegated responsibilities. How many people here know that you and I have a delegated responsibility that God has given us? Every single one of us have been delegated, whether you think you're small and insignificant or whether you, whether you think you're the best thing since sliced bread, all of us have been given a delegated responsibility. In fact, Jesus put it this way. He said, all authority I have and all authority I give to you 
And then he says a little bit later, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And that word nations means people groups or families. It's not talking about countries. It's talking about people because God is always about people. And so there's this delegated responsibility that this man is giving people. And it's the same delegated responsibility that you and I have been given. God has delegated his authority to us for us to use it in establishing his principle, his kingdom, not only in our lives, but in the world around us. Way back in Genesis, the original intention for Adam and Eve, for mankind, was when Jesus said, when God said to them, go forth, multiply, have dominion, and rule over the earth. We were actually delegated the authority to rule and reign on the earth that he had created us, but here's the thing about delegation. Delegation does not abdicate the responsibility. Delegated authority says that I'm operating on God's behalf, but God still holds the responsibility. God's still responsible for the outcome, which for me is just so life-changing because it means it's not about me having to make it happen. Are you with me this morning? It's actually about he's delegated this responsibility and he's delegated this responsibility because we're going to see in a little bit because he believes in me. But at the end of the day, the outcome is his responsibility. So it's really just about me operating and walking and working my life in the things that he has told me to do. And as long as I operate it in that delegated authority, I'm in a good space. I'm in an okay place. It's when I step outside of what I've been delegated that it becomes a problem, i.e., like you have with your kids at home. When they step outside of the boundaries that your home has, and all of a sudden, things start to change in the atmosphere. How many people know what I'm talking about? You see, while you're, let me help you out for a little bit, if you're still living at home, while you're at home, you're under the authority of your parents, you're under the covering of your parents. And so what happens if the enemy wants to get at you, he's got to go through your parents because they have authority. But when you step out from under their authority, now you are exposed. No different in church life and no different in work life. When you step outside of your delegated authority in your work life, then the boss tends to have a problem with you. Don't look at me like that. How many people here are bosses? Put your hand up if you're a boss. I feel sorry for you. But it's a delegated authority, but we've got to understand that when Jesus left, he said, you know what, I've got to go to the Father, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be your comforter, and he's going to lead you in all things. He didn't abandon us, but he delegated the authority to us to go and make disciples. But at the end of the day, he's still responsible for the outcome, but we're responsible to operate in the authority that he actually gave us to operate in. All right? Are you with me? All right. And then it goes on, and it says this, to one he gave $5,000, to another $2,000, and to a third $1,000, depending on their abilities. Depending on their abilities. I think the great thing about this scripture is it shows us that God has delegated us the authority to do what it is that he wants done on the earth, but then he doesn't ask us to do anything that's beyond our capabilities, because what he does is he delegates to each person what their ability is according to their ability, he delegates the authority and he delegates the responsibility according to whatever the ability is. So this is what happens in church life sometimes is what we tend to do is we tend to compare our role or what we're doing to somebody else. So we look at what I'm doing and it's just like, ah, oh, and, and don't, if you ever say this, you need to stop saying this. Don't ever say, I'm just a stay-at-home mum, or I'm just a, 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 a supermarket worker, or I'm just, don't, don't ever say that, because everything that God gives you to do is based on the abilities that he believes that you have to bring about an outcome. And I can't think of a more honourable, a more important role than a stay-at-home mum raising children in godliness 
and bringing them through into all that God has created in their lives for them to be. I can't think of a more important job than to raise the next generation to serve and follow Jesus. It's, it's, it's an important, oh, but yeah, but, but I wish I was like that mum, because like that mum, she kind of works and she does that and she's incredible. I, I wish I could be like that. I wish I could be like Madison, my, my daughter, because not only can she play the synth and the keys, but she can play bass as well. And if, and if I did that, then I'd just be amazing. Or, or I could be like Rimmer and have this amazing... If I could just, and so what we tend to do is we tend to compare, not by our abilities, but we compare by the abilities of others. And what tends to happen when we start comparing what it is that God has called me to do based on the abilities of somebody else, we tend to not even try because our thought process becomes this. How can I ever compete with that? Because what I'm doing is so insignificant. The first thing that you've gotten wrong is that we don't compete in the church, we complete in the church. You don't compete with each other, we complete one another. You don't compete in marriage, you complete each other in marriage, because the two become one. So she completes you and you complete her. Are you with me this morning? You're not really responding to how good the preaching is, but that's okay, you'll get there. And so the biggest mistake we do is we compare ourselves by other people's abilities. Can I say this? Measure yourself by your ability. Because it says here that he gave according to their abilities. So when I measure how I am in my life, I measure it by the ability I have. What do I mean by that? Well, if you're a straight A student and you're getting B's, right, and then your mate is a C grade student and he's getting C pluses, who's doing the better job? The C-plus guy is doing the better job because he's living to the potential of his abilities. The guy might be getting Bs, which is a bigger grade than me, but he's not living to the potential of his abilities. Because we have to remember that the God left and delegated authority and then gave us talent. As in some, some versions, it doesn't talk about money. It talks about talent. Talent is money. But God gave us a responsibility to fulfill according to your ability. All right, your ability, not the other person's ability, but your ability. And so when I look at my life and I look at what I'm doing with my life, I have to decide, am I living to my abilities? Yes? Not the abilities of Saskia, because you never want me song leading in this church. It'll empty the place quicker than anything else. And he, the reason why he gives according to your abilities, and here's the thing, because some people are like, oh, so God thinks I'm dumb and I'm useless. No, he's not saying that. What he's doing is, because this is a thing that people say all the time, it's not fear. If I was like them, then it's not fear. The thing is, by God giving you a responsibility, a delegated responsibility, according to your, your ability, it makes it fear. It makes it fear. It would be unfair of God to give the 1,000 guy 5,000. That's unfair. Because he's asking him to do something that's beyond his capabilities. Are you with me this morning? God is not trying to restrict you and God is not trying to shrink you and God is not trying to make you, I'm just a pleb in the army of God. No, no. What he's doing is he's saying, you know, according to the abilities that I've given you, this is the perfect job for you. And I don't know about you, but when you're in the perfect situation, in the perfect job, in the perfect moment, nothing feels better than that. Nothing compares to that. There might be people around the world that are earning more money than what I'm earning. But when I come home and I enjoy my family and my wife and all those sorts of things, and I look at some of these people that are working so hard to make money, and they're so busy making money that their home is falling apart, you know what? I, I'm quite happy with the ability that God has given me. Can you hear me? Because when I'm operating in the ability that God has given me is when I'm happiest. There's nothing worse. I remember Trinity will tell you this. There's nothing worse than when I was operating in a job I didn't like. I was the most grumpy person on the face of the planet. Why? Because I was so dissatisfied with my life. But I think there's a whole lot of people in our world today, especially in the church today, that are so dissatisfied with their lives because they're not measuring by their ability, 
they're measuring by somebody else's. Can I encourage you this morning? It's not your job to be me, and it's not my job to be you. It's your job to be you, and my job to be me. And it's my job to do what God's called me to do, and it's your job to do what God's called you to do. And if you do that, God's going to be so happy with you. Because it's according to your abilities that he gives. Now, let's just pull this back a little bit for you. The next thing we have to understand is that it was his money, not their money. Yeah? So every talent, every ability, everything that God has called you to do is not because you're awesome, but it's because he invested it in you. You're all looking at me this morning. God has invested in you. He's invested in you a calling and a gifting according to your ability. He has made an investment. He has poured into your life something that you did not have, but he believes you have the ability to fulfill. How cool is that? How cool is that, that when I'm living my life, that God has made an investment in me? Now, here's the thing. If you get into business and stuff like that, you never make, you very rarely do you make an investment into something that you don't believe in. If somebody came to you and said, hey, I've got this dream to build a McDonald's on the moon, would you invest in that? You'd be like, um, no. It, it, would anybody invest in that? Because I got a proposal for you after church this morning. No, nobody invests into that because it's like, this just that's crazy. There's no return in that. Are you hearing me this morning? There's no return in that. But when God looks at you, when God looks at Tyler and Rob, and looks at Eloise, and looks at Michelle, and Isaac, and looks at every single person in this place, he goes, you know what? You are worth the investment, because I'm not going to invest in something that's not going to bring a return. So here's the thing. You may go, I'm not sure I can do this. I'm not sure I can accomplish this. I'm not sure I'm good enough. I'm not sure I'm ready yet. But, But nobody makes an investment in something that they don't believe can produce a return. And so God would not invest in you. God would not pour that talent into you. God would not pour that giftings into you if you didn't have the ability to fulfill it. Because so often we turn around and we talk about, you know, uh, and I will talk about this a little bit later, that so often God asks us to do things that's beyond us so that he can, be in, he can be involved, so that God gets the glory, and that's true. But the other thing is that we have to understand is that he wouldn't give it to you if you didn't have the ability to do it. Because he doesn't set you up for failure. He sets you up for success. And he believes in you so much that he invests into you according to what your ability is. Everything in our lives that we have is because he's invested that into us. The wife we have, guys, is because God has invested into us and trusts us with her. Every child that you have is because God has invested to you because every child is a gift from God and he has invested because he believes in your ability to bring out of that child all the gifts and the callings of God that are on them. You're the best parent for that child to bring about God's purposes in their lives. You're not a nobody and you're not a mistake and you're not making uh, huge mistakes, although sometimes we do as parents. God, knowing the mistakes that you're going to make with that kid, still says you're the best person to sow that child into because you have the ability to bring about the God call in their life. He believes in us. The home you have is not because of how awesome you are, but because he believes in you that he'd invest a home into you because he understands that you know that that home is not yours, but it's his. And so you'll use it for him by having hospitality and loving on people and inviting your kids' unsafe friends over for dinner and making an investment into their lives. God does everything. The car that you have is because God believes in you. The career that you have is because God's invested Are you with me this morning? Everything that he's put into your life from the moment you were born until now is an investment that he's made in you because he believes that you have the ability to produce a return on the investment that he's put in you. And what the enemy will do is say, you can't do it, but it's not about what he says. It's about what God says. And God has said, I believe in you that you have the ability 
And so I'm going to make this investment. It goes on to say this in the, in the story, and it says, Then he left right off. The first servant went to work and doubled his master's investment. The second did the same, but the man with the single thousand dug a hole and carefully buried his master's money. There's two kinds of people here. All of them have been invested into. All of them have had an investment put into them. Two of them go out straight away and double the investment that the master has put into them. One of them goes away and carefully buries the investment that has been put into him. And so my question to you this morning is, which one are we? Are we the ones that believe that God's invested in me because I have the ability to bring about a return? Or are we the ones that take the investment, but then we carefully go and bury it? Here's the thing about the guy who buried it, is that he was careful with it. Yeah, he wasn't careless. It's not like he just dug a hole and threw it in there. It says that he carefully buried. In other words, he knew that this was... Can we just take a little bit and get a little bit of echo in my mic? He knew that this investment was precious. He knew that this investment was important to the master. And he didn't want to treat it carelessly. He didn't want to uh, stuff it up, if you want to put it that way. He didn't want to make any mistakes with this. So he, he decided that he was going to be really careful with it. He understood the value of it. He understood that it was the master's and he didn't want to make a mistake. He didn't want to be careless. He didn't want to lose it. He didn't want to damage it. And so he made this decision that the best thing that he could do is just bury it so that at least it's safe. At least it's safe. But it goes on in the story and it says, after a long absence, the master of those servants came back and settled up with them. And the one given $5,000 showed him how he had doubled his investment. And his master commended him, good work. You did a, your job well. From now on, be my partner. The servant with the 2000 showed how he had also doubled his master's investment. And his master commended him, saying, good work. You did a job well. From now on, you can be my partner. I want everyone to say partner. I love this thought. I love this thought that the two that invested what the master invested in them made a return in such a way that the master says to them, whoa, you're not my servant now. Now you're my partner. You're not my employee. Now you're my partner. You know that God's intention from the very first verse of the Bible was that you and I would partner with him. That we would be with him. That's why when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, one of our promises is, is that we are co-heirs with Christ. That we are sons and daughters of God. He never intended for us just to be servants and slaves. He always intended for us to be partners and family. Always wants to partner with you to see things come to pass. Always wants to partner with you to see your family saved. Always wants to partner with you to see your marriage go from strength to strength. Always wants to partner with you to see your kids saved and established and doing amazing things. Always wants to partner with you in your business. Partner with you in your home. Partner with you in the school. Partner with you in your... He wants to do this together, but the way to do it together is to understand that it's his investment in me and because he's invested in me and he believes in me and says I have the abilities for this investment, I can go out without fear, without worry, without concern and I can bring a return on the investment that he has made and when God sees that, he goes partner with me, partner with me. Does anybody here want to be a partner with God? You're not going to make a business partner of a guy who doesn't help you grow the business. John Tarn is sitting down the back, and I can guarantee you now, if he had a guy 
and it was a partner that wasn't helping him grow his business, it wouldn't be a partner for much longer. It needs to grow, it needs to develop because God has given you this investment that something has to be done with. These guys took what the master invested and they multiplied it. They understood the investment required a response. You know, the Bible says this, to whom much is given, much is required. You know, faith without works is dead. There's got to be a return on the investment that God has made. When, when someone has loved you and I the way that God has loved us, when someone has saved you and I as much as God has saved us, when somebody has believed in you and I as much as God believed in us, I can't help when I think about how much God loves me. I can't help when I think about how much He saved me. I can't help when I think about how much He invested in me that I can't help myself but want to produce a return on that love and that salvation and that investment into my life. When I look at my wife and I think about how much she has loved me, I can't help but want to love her back so much more than what she has loved me because I want there to be a return on her investment because I love her and I want her to see that I value what she has put into me. And all God is saying is like, man, I've set you up for success. Would you just invest what I've invested in you so that we can partner in this and bring a return which shows me how much you love me as I've shown you how much I love you. I can't help but want to do that. I can't help to want to do that because I also know that that's the way that God works. No one gives up homes nor families nor anything, the Bible says, which God does not repay. 60, 80, and 100 fold. So he's saying this, because you invested, because you gave up a house, because you gave up your family, and you invested your life into the kingdom and into me, I can't help myself but return it all back to you. 60, 80, and 100 fold, pressed down, shaking together, running out all over, because I can't help myself. And if we're really created in the image of God, then we can't help ourselves but return back to Him so much more than what He's invested in us. Can I get an amen this morning? Because I'm not getting much out of you. It goes on and it says, A servant given 1,000 said, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways that you demand the best and make no allowance for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. I... I I understand this guy's mentality, but I really struggle with his statement. Because he starts off by saying, Master, I know that you expect a return on your investment. I know that you don't want me to be careless of what you've given me. I know that you expect this, but I hit it anyway. I know you have high standards. I know you don't want me to be careless, so I, I kept it safe. I, I, I know you demand the best. Can I just say this? The world demands excellence, but God deserves it. The world demands you turn up to work on time, but God deserves you to turn up to church on time. Just leave that hanging out there for you for a little bit. And knowing all these things, knowing, knowing what the master required, knowing all of this, knowing everything that, he ex that the master expected of him, he still went and buried it. And he buried it because of this. I didn't want to disappoint you. I didn't want to be rejected by you in case I made a mistake, in case somehow I stuffed this up in case somehow I lost all the stuff that you've given me. It's just really what he's saying. I, I didn't want you to be disappointed in me. But what he didn't realize and what he'd forgotten is that God was never going to be disappointed in him because he gave him the talent to the level of his abilities. He gave to him an investment 
knowing he could do it. See, the problem was not the master investing. The problem was the person that was invested in believing that they weren't worthy of the investment. And were too scared to do anything with it in case it didn't work. Too scared to do anything in case it didn't work. I can imagine his thinking, I I can't do this. It's it's not within me to do this. I'm not like those other guys. I can't do what the 5,000 guy did or the 2,000 guy did. And I don't want to lose what he's given me, so what I'll do is I'll play it really, really safe and I'll just bury it. And and, and that way, at least I can say, I, I may not have done anything with what you gave me, but I didn't lose it. I've still got it. I've still got it here. But you know, when we live a life like that, when we turn around and we doubt that what God has invested in me is according to my abilities, when we doubt that what God has asked me to do is actually within my ability to do it, it really isn't a God problem. It's really a me problem because I don't trust God. I don't trust Him. I, 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 I think the biggest problem in, in Christianity worldwide, and I include myself in this, is that we say all the time that God is good all the time, all the time God is good, but we really don't believe it when God asks us to do something. We doubt, we question, we hesitate. We're like, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I'm not like these other guys. But hey, you've got to hear something this morning. He invests in you according to your ability. He's never going to ask you to do something that makes you look stupid. Yes? Don't come over to my house and ask for a five-star restaurant-type meal. It's just not going to happen. But if you want a good steak and chips, I'm your man. Because my ability is pub food. And I can look at all the Recipe books that Trinity and I have brought over the years and imagine, have you ever tried that? Have you ever tried to cook something and you're looking at the photo of it and then you look what you put on the plate and you're like, yeah, that's not my gifting. But you have to understand this, that that this guy, this guy that buried it, that buried it, it, it wasn't his to bury It's not his investment. It's not his money. It's the master's. It's not your gifting. It's not your talent. It's not your musical ability. It's not your dance move ability. It's not your bubbly, friendly personality ability. It's God's investment in you. He's invested that into you, and you can't bury it. You can't bury it. There must be a return of what is us. He's not going to ask you to do anything that's beyond your ability. We do nobody any favors by living small lives. God honors big dreams because big dreams honor God. Big dreams honor God because what we're doing is we're believing in the investment that he has put in me and we're believing that what he says is of more power than what anybody else says. Big dreams honor God because big dream, God honors big dreams because big dreams honor God. I read this in a book just recently. If your dream doesn't scare you, it's too small. If your dream doesn't scare you, you're thinking too small. You know, the, the great scripture is Ephesians 3.20. My God can do exceedingly abundantly more than you can have asked, think, or imagine according to what his power, his investment that's at work in you. You know, you ever heard this statement, no guts, no glory? Here, let me put a bit of a spiritual spin on it for you. No guts on my behalf brings about no glory on his behalf. Because when I step out and I trust in the investment that he's made and the abilities that he says I have, and we see this incredible return on investment, it's him that gets the glory. It's him that gets the glory. But if I have no guts, he gets no glory. I said to the youth last, on Friday night, I said to them, you know, some of our problem is, 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 is the way that we see things, you know. And I said this to them, I said, you don't overcome sin by focusing on not sinning. You overcome sin by having a dream that's bigger than the temptations that sin brings. 
Come on, think about that for a moment. You, you, you don't cave into sin when the dream of what it is that God can do with your life far exceeds the pleasure of the season. You don't overcome fear by focusing on not overcoming fear. You overcome fear by stepping out into a big dream that's bigger than your fears. Because faith is not about not having fear. Faith is about having fear and doing it anyway. It's about rising above the fear and going, I'm going to do this anyway because the dream is so much bigger than my fear. Because of the investment that he's made in me, I can have absolute confidence that this is not beyond my abilities, even though I need his help in the process. But he's not going to give you something that you can't do. It goes on in verse 26, and I'm nearly finished, and it says this, the master, about the guy with the one that buried it, it says the master was furious. Listen, listen to this wording, I love it so much. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers, where at least I could have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most. Listen to the language here. What a terrible way to live to bury your investment. What a criminal way to live cautiously with what I have given you. And this statement just absolutely blows my mind and has convicted me so much over the last three to four weeks as I thought about this message. You did less than what was least. I didn't think you could stoop any lower than the least thing you could do. But he's saying to this guy, you did even less than what was least. Least you could have done is put it in the bank to earn interest, but you didn't even do that. I don't know about you, but that just so convicts me so much because I'm just thinking how often have I been so afraid of what it is that God has called me to do that the least, the least I could have done is shared it with some of the key leaders in the church and see what they thought. But I'm so frightened of the complications or the implications of this crazy God dream that I have that I'm going to tell anyone because they might think I'm loopy. And so I do even less than what is least. Have you ever done that? God's called you to pick up the phone and ring someone or you had somebody on your mind and you feel like you should, at least, at least I could make them a meal to help them through this period of their lives, but we do even less than what is least. You know, I had somebody say to me, a visitor say once, thank you so much for making us feel welcome. And I always respond with, this is the least we can do. The least we can do. You see, in another version of the Bible, it talks about the guys that doubled their investment as good and faithful. Good and faithful. And it talks about the guy that buried his as wicked and lazy. So we have good and faithful, and we have wicked and lazy. You put a line down the middle, one deals with our character, and the other deals with our works. Good and evil is about character. Faithful and lazy is about works. You see, we think faithfulness is turning up the church every Sunday and being in a seat. We think faithfulness is, is giving every week you know, of our tithes and offerings, which you know, is, is absolutely, you should do that. We think faithful is that I started the year like this and I managed to maintain it and end the year like that. We think faithful, I, I, I know, I've I got to challenge myself on this. We think faithful as we started the year with two, you know, with 300 odd people in the church and we ended the year with 300 people in the church. We didn't lose anyone. I was faithful with what you gave me. The problem with our mentality of faithful is not the same as God's mentality of faithful. In fact, the scripture teaches here that those that had it invested in them who went away and multiplied their investment and produced a return on their investment were faithful. Why? Because according to Scripture, faithfulness is fruitfulness. 
You see, if I start the year, and I'm not picking on connect group leaders here at all, but if I start the year with five people in my connect group and I still have five at the end of the year, we would say, you were faithful, but that's not faithfulness in scripture. Faithfulness would say that five should be six or that five should be seven. There should be fruitfulness. If you're the, still the same person you are today as you were a year ago, that's not faithful. Faithful in Scripture means fruitfulness. You should have change. You should have grown. There should be more fruit produced in your life. Good and faithful. Great character, great works. Evil and lazy. Bad character, laziness. Here's the thing that frightens me the most, though. When I look at the church, and I mean the church worldwide, what I see is a lot of good, people who really love God, really got a heart for God. But I have a sense in, our, in, in the church worldwide that what we have is good and lazy. Oh, you're probably going to like me by the end of this, but it's okay. We'll get there. Because my job is to be fruitful. And if I'm not being fruitful with the investment that God has made in me, and I'm bearing it, and I'm not using it, then I'm lazy. We cannot afford. There are people in our community going to hell that cannot afford for the church to be good and lazy. They need us to be good and faithful. They need us to be good and fruitful. Because right now there are people in our community that are in pain because their family member is dying of cancer. And what they don't need you to do is tell them how much God loves them without showing them how much God loves them. I know it just got a little uncomfortable in here, but it's okay. We just can't afford to be good and turn up to church every week but not serve. You can't afford to be good and turn up to church every week but not invest your tithes and offerings to believe that we can be resourced to do all the things that God has called us to do. I know some of you are feeling really, really uncomfortable right now, but I need to be honest with you of where I'm at. I'm just not interested in playing church any longer. I'm just not interested in how many times you turn up here on a Sunday and, and how good you are at turning up on a Sunday. I want to see a church filled with disciples, and disciples do this. Disciples make disciples. Disciples don't turn up to church events and pat themselves on the back like they've done a good job. Disciples go out of this place and make disciples. Because Jesus said this, go and make disciples. He didn't say go and attend church. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be in church. This is where the team comes together for the coach to talk to the team so the team can go and operate Monday through to Saturday. But friend, if you just think that turning up to church every week is doing God a favor, you might be good, but if that's all you're doing, friend, you're being lazy. And you're not bringing a return on the investment that God has placed in your life. And then he says, take from the one what he had and give it to the one who risked the most. Because you know what? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But faith without works is no faith at all. There has to be something that comes out of it. He goes on and he says of the one that buried the thousand, he says, and get rid of this. Play it safe. Who won't go out on a limb and throw him into outer darkness. Take this, play it safe. Who won't go out on a limb person and get rid of him. He's of no use to me. Jesus put it another way. He said, be either hot or be cold. But if you're lukewarm, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. In other words, he's saying, either be full on for God or not at all. But don't sit in the middle somewhere. Don't, 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 don't be the person that buries it, plays it safe, won't take a risk, won't go out on a limb. We don't go take a risk and we don't go out on a limb because we don't understand that the investment that is made in you is according to your ability 
He hasn't set you up for failure. He's set you up for success. And if you just believe in yourself as much as he believes in you, you would see a fruitfulness come to your life that you've never seen before. And people will look at you and they'll go, man, how come you're so successful? How come you're, because I've just been faithful, fruitful with the investment that he's made. And then God has added, remember, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added. It's a fruitfulness that gets added as we believe in the investment that he's made. You see, this guy preferred the comfort over the call. But God's not interested in how safe we live our lives. But I can understand that some of you might be thinking this right now, but what if those other guys, the $5,000 guy and the $2,000 guy, what if they lost it all? How would have the master responded then? Good question, yes? Because that's not really talked about there. How, how would have he responded if they lost everything? We've got to come back once again to the very start where he delegated the authority and invested according to their abilities. And we've got to understand that when God invested in you, when God invested in Andrew, when God invested in Julie, when God invested in Pete, he did not see it as a risk. You're not a risk. You're a success. There's no risk in God investing in you because he's created you for greatness. God does not sit back and go, man, I hope this works. Cross my fingers behind my back. Touch wood. I hope this works. I hope that Gillian really does everything that God's planted and invested. He doesn't think like that. He invests because all he sees is success. All he sees is return. All he sees is fruitfulness. It doesn't even enter his mind. What if they lose it all? Because he knows they won't lose it all. As long as they hold on to me, as long as they follow my ways, as long as they invest the way that I've invested, as long as they live their lives how I've lived my life, there's no risk to the investment. There's no risk that there'll never be a return because I believe in you and I believe in them and I believe that what I've put in them will produce because my word doesn't go out and accomplish nothing but it produces everything that it sets out to do and the work that I began in you I am faithful to bring to completion he does not think you're a risk he thinks you're success and when he sees you he just sees fruitfulness and success and I want you this morning to understand something that the man that buried it all he saw was his inabilities but all they saw was God's ability. And the problem with us is when we let God, when we get God out of the equation, when we allow our circumstance, when we allow our insecurities, when we allow our position in our lives to get in between me and God, all I'll ever see is my lack. But if I can shift God in between me and my circumstance, then all I'll see is His might and His power. And the man with one talent, all he saw was his insecurities. And you know what? I understand how he feels. Because like you, I feel the same way. I feel so inadequate at times. I feel like I just can't really do what it is that God's asking me to do. But I've got to understand this. It's not my talent. It's his. And his investment always produces. Always, always, always. He wants you to take the investment that he's made in your life as the musicians and singers come. He wants you to take that investment and he wants you to understand that what he's invested in you, he has no doubts that it's going to produce everything that he dreamed it could be. He has no doubts that you can do everything that he's called you to do because he understands what he's invested. He does not see you as a risk. He sees you as the answer. He sees you as the hope of the world, the church. And I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of doubting God's investment in my life. 
I want to see it produce in ways that I never dreamed it could. But I want to make sure he gets all the glory for it. I'll show the guts as long as God gets the glory. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? Why don't you just close your eyes just for a moment. I really believe in this place this morning, this this is a word for us in season as a church, but a word for us in season as individuals. That God is calling us to step out. So every eye is closed. God is calling us to step out of operating in our abilities. God is asking us to step out and stop seeing that what is in me is not from me, but it's from Him. And that God's investment always produces. It's time for us, some of us, to go into that backyard and dig back up the talent that we've hidden. To dig back up that thing that you once were. I've heard people say this before. I used to be a really bubbly, spontaneous person, but then this happened and that happened. And and now I've really gone into my shell. And now I'm really, you know what? It's time to dig up the talent that has been buried under life's difficulties and life's problems. It's time to dig up the talent that has been covered over by your circumstances and your situations. It's time to bring the talent to the surface and let it get covered with Jesus. Let it get covered with His authority that is delegated to you, understanding that you have the ability to make that talent produce in such a way that this world has never seen. And then when you step out and you trust in His investment in you, we'll see miracles happen. We'll see amazing things happen, not just in our lives, but in our families and in our schools and in our communities and in our world because we understand that this is God's investment and He hasn't set me up to fail, but He's set me up to succeed. Just why every single eye is closed in this place. If you're here this morning, you're like, man, I need to dig up my talent. I need this this morning. I talked to the youth on Friday night about having two o'clock in the morning courage because there's two kinds of courage. There's the normal courage and two o'clock in the morning courage. I don't mean to make you laugh, but I gave an example of when I was 16 years of age, me and three mates, we had two o'clock in the morning courage when I lived on Cascades Road in Pekaringa. We dared each other to run down the road butt naked at two o'clock in the morning. You don't do that at nine o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning, because there's too many cars. But two o'clock in the morning, somehow you get this two o'clock in the morning courage that just doesn't seem like normal courage. It's a little bit different courage. There's a man named Benaniah who says he went down into a, snowy, into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. Normal